random conversation generator part three joey what <laughs> is your favorite smell my favorite smell that's hard i don't know what the f- smell of money i mean the smell of fresh <laughs> money out of the atm is a top tier smell like when you get those crispy ass 20 dollar bills right out of yeah. the atm like they just put it in there i mean that is a great smell food obviously like some chocolate chip cookies right out the oven can't beat that underrated is probably like gasoline you're a weirdo dude bro that i'm telling you i don't know the smell of gasoline just smells good (laughs) when you're when you're like pumping gas and shit Mm, i still can't smell shout out to covid so (laughs) i'll skip this one all right what's better this is an interesting one having high expectations or having low expectations having low expectations for sure because then you leave room for like positive growth and like for a, an outcome to be surprising in a positive way. If you have high expectations, you know, all, all that can happen is that your expectations are realized or disappointment. That That's an easy one for me. <laughs> but isn't having low expectations like the, the pessimistic point of view? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just think that if you have low expectations, you're just going into everything in life just expecting you know the worst to happen which which i think can be a terrible mindset in some situations but if you do have too high of expectations you know you you could be easily disappointed so i don't know i think it's i think it's a balance for me you probably want to be somewhere in the middle yeah exactly realistic expectations is probably ideal joey do you believe in fate Dang, we're getting into the deep questions. <laughs> fate. Do I believe in fate? I I don't believe in fate, but every <laughs> that's that's tough. Every decision that you make obviously has a consequence, but Well, that's the opposite of fate. Fate fate would kind of like imply that you know, your decisions are predetermined. Like whatever's going to happen was already predetermined and that your actions are like going about the motions, but the the end result has already been predetermined. I don't believe in that. That that goes against everything that comes to like accountability and decision-making. So yeah, I'm not a big fate guy. I, I don't, I don't believe in fate just because I think fate is kind of tied to like religion and, and whatnot and that like God has a plan for everybody. And mm. I don't believe that personally i don't i don't think anything is predetermined everything happens because of your actions not what somebody else has planned for you or some other being has planned are are you destined to win the millie maker this year though is that fate <laughs> it might be fate but <laughs> i i think that i can win because you know somebody has to win but mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's i don't think it's my fate um especially no. in a game of skill true like, True. You're gonna earn that with yeah. your own two hands. Yes, exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the time in, put the work in, and make it my fate. But I don't think it's mm. predetermined. I like that. You know? I like that. Yeah. All right. Got another fun question for you. If you were invisible for one day, what <laughs> would you do? I think what I would do if I was invisible is try and gather as much damaging information on the people who have power over me and use it for blackmail at a later date like my (laughs) boss at work for example i would like be chilling in his house try and find something incriminating you know so next time he tries to come at me while i'm on the job i'll be like bro i I saw what you were doing like (laughs) i'm not coming in today i'd like the day off please shit like that i mean 
nothing yeah, that, perverted that that's like the standard answer you know like yeah yeah, yeah that, that's yeah, not me nah, that's not yeah, me nah. i mean i think that's that's a waste of the day though like if i'm invisible for a day i'm stealing as much money as i possibly can i'm going to every bank just walking in walk behind them when they open the vault take all the mm. money and just dip yeah that's but the money the, the money's not invisible they're gonna be like yo that money is like walking away like grab that <laughs> like <laughs> Well, you got you got to be quick, but you won't get caught unless you obviously spend that money and it gets tracked and, and whatever. So you got to be smart about that. But still, I'm I'm, I'm just robbing, I'm robbing <laughs> banks. I, I don't care. That that would be my day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 155 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, it is time to unveil our guys for the 2021 season. Three players each that we've been drafting, that we are drafting, that we're putting our money where our mouths are, that we believe in, and that we are fully confident and recommending to you, the people right here, right now. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. We are everywhere. And if you'd like to, you can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Mondays. Joey, our guys. How did we do last year on this segment? I think we did uh, pretty horribly. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. I think one of mine was like Nikhil Harry, total bust. Mm-hmm. I think another one was like Paris Campbell, total mm-hmm. bust. But he got injured, so I guess, I guess that's okay. Um, you know, my my third guy was Josh Oliver. You know, total bust, got hurt. So two another of my injury. guys got hurt. But we we kind of went with like sleepers right. for for last season, and for this season we're we're kind of not doing that. We're kind of picking solid guys that are being drafted, you know, in the top 10, top 11 rounds. It's a little bit different from last year. Year three were Darrington Evans, Alan Lazard, and Denzel Mims. So pretty much just bust. That's a tough scene. Bust on both sides. Um, <laughs> so we, we were just trash for picking those guys no excuses right so i mean you know take it how you will maybe you know you should completely fade all of these players maybe that would be the smart thing to do but we're not these are players that we own at a high rate you know throughout all of our best ball drafts i'm closing in on nearly 300 best ball drafts right now and these are some of my highest owned players at least the guys that i'm going to be talking about and i want to get right into it joey the first guy on my list is a man by the name of michael gallup Currently, I think that there's a big misconception in the fantasy football community when it comes to Michael Gallup. I think that the way that people look at the Cowboys wide receiver group is that CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper are the, are the 1A and 1B, and then Michael Gallup is behind those guys. No, 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 no. CeeDee Lamb is the 1, and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup are the 2A and 2B. I, I don't see much separation between Gallup and Cooper right now, but the ADP gap is significant. Cooper is going in the third round around pick 34, 35. Michael Gallup's ADP on underdog is wide receiver 35, ADP 72.4. And to me, Gallup is just set up for a ton of success. He's 25 years old. He's attached to an elite offense, a pass happy offense, and he's in a contract year. Last year, 
in, in a year where Dak Prescott missed a, a large portion of the season, the majority of the season, Gallup still managed to run the second most routes of any wide receiver in the NFL. And while his efficiency dipped from where it was in 2019, he was averaging 16.8 yards per reception and it was down to 14.3 yards per reception. I think that we could see that expand. And if it doesn't expand, I think Gallup's going to make up for that in volume. Last year, Gallup ran 6.3% of his routes out of the slot. CD Lamb was running 84.7% of his routes out of the slot. And I think that we see that almost flip. Gallup has reportedly been working out of the slot a lot more. I think that that could result in a career high in terms of just straight receptions for Gallup. While he's utilized in a variety of different ways, the CD Lamb sort of takes over that alpha wide receiver role, primarily playing on the outside. And, and what it comes down to for me is just the wide receivers in the range where Gallup is going, DJ Chark dealing with an injury, LaVisca Chenault, Tyler Boyd, Big Mike Will, Antonio Brown. I'm taking Gallup over all those guys. Like I said, contract year. He's playing for the Guala this season, and I think he's going to earn it. Gallup is my fifth highest owned wide receiver on underdog. As of this morning, I've got 19.6% exposure to him on UD on over 100 teams on drafters. I've done 188 best ball drafts, and Gallup is my second highest owned wide receiver with 25% exposure. Putting my money where my mouth is on this take, Michael Gallup is a clear-cut buy. Yeah, I, I love Michael Gallup this year as well. I mean, he's the clear-cut wide receiver three, but on numerous teams in the NFL, he'd be a clear-cut wide receiver one. Just kind of unfortunate that CD and Amari are above him. But obviously, I, I love all the stats that you mentioned, but I just want as many pieces as I can from this Cowboys offense that I think is going to be top three in the NFL in terms of points scored. They should be one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL. Dak Prescott was on pace to break records last year in real life and in fantasy football. So they get him back healthy, ready to go for week one. And I just want all of these Cowboys wide receivers. I want Zeke just buying all of these guys and Michael Gallup has the cheapest ADP of the three. So love Michael Gallup in that range. And I do think he has more upside than the guys that you mentioned going around him. So clear cut buy for me as well. Like you said, I just want as much exposure as possible to this offense. And you know, sometimes you can be in a position where Dak Prescott presents himself as a value and you're like, oh, you know, should I take him? I missed on CD. I missed on Amari Cooper. Like this wasn't supposed to be a Dak team, but you can easily swing, you know, Dak and Gallup as a late stack. And I think that that still has weak winning upside when it comes down to the underdog playoffs. So mm -hmm. Gallup to me is just a great player to bank on and, you know, getting him as your wide receiver for wide receiver five in some spots just feels like an absolute cheat code yeah I definitely agree and one of my guys for this season is a player that you mentioned going around Michael Gallup and that's DJ Chark so going in the same range as the wide receiver 38 with an ADP of 76.9 on underdog so the seventh round I am just very high on DJ Chark he is my highest owned wide receiver on underdog up to this point I have about 60 drafts or so total on underdog and then like 50 plus on drafters he's pretty high owned for me over there as well and I just feel like Chark is, is a guy that most people are out on after a disappointing sophomore season I can't make excuses for him he he was trash last year. He was also dealing with an injury and he also had bottom three quarterback play. Gardner Minshew played Jake Luton. While I do kind of blame him for having a disappointing season, there was also some factors that he couldn't control that I think also contributed 
to his bad season. And then if we're just taking a look at his athletic profile, I mean, he's 6'3", 4'3", which is 98th percentile, 96th percentile speed score, 93rd percentile burst score. This is just a clear-cut prototypical alpha wide receiver one that I think Urban Meyer is going to utilize as a deep threat in an offense led by one of the best quarterback prospects to come out in the last 10 years in Trevor Lawrence. So I'm just very high on DJ Chark. I know that they did add some competition for targets in Marvin Jones and Travis Etienne, but not too worried. I, I think he is the vertical guy and should improve significantly from last season. So Love DJ Chark at his current ADP. I have quite a bit of exposure to DJ Chark as well. I know that currently he's dealing with a hand injury, but it's not expected to you know minimize the amount of games he's going to play. He should be fine by week one. I've actually been buying the dip because you know people seem to be concerned about this injury. You know, by the way, one of the biggest edges in best ball at this time of year is you know the slightest injury and players' ADP start to tank. So with mm-hmm. DJ Chark, a guy I already had decent exposure to, I'm upping even more now at this point with the discount. And I'll be honest, I like all of these Jags wide receivers. And and that's my one concern with him is I just don't know how the targets are going to be distributed. You know, the one year that DJ Chark was absolutely dominant two years ago, the competition was what, D.D. Westbrook and Chris Conley and Keelan Cole as the other wide receivers. I think it's a different story with LaVisca Chenault, you know, reportedly dominating camp, expected to take a sophomore jump forward. Marvin Jones is an established wide receiver and an accomplished deep threat as well. Travis Etienne, like you mentioned, and even Colin Johnson's been getting some hype as a deep sleeper for this team at wide receiver. So I'm worried about about the consistency, but I think the boom weeks will be there absolutely. And all you really need, especially on a site with underdog, with a playoff structure, or even in typical redraft, is for him to catch fire at the right time. So if this is a pass-heavy team, DJ Chark absolutely has the upside. He has the measurables to truly succeed at this year and, and sort of bounce back and, and retake that form that he had in 2019. Yep, I, I definitely agree with everything you said. I I actually have it written down that he's probably going to be like a low floor wide receiver just for all the points that you mentioned, but a high ceiling, especially, like I said, if they use him in the vertical passing game where he's the deep threat in the Jets offense so lower floor with Chark but I think he has one of the highest ceilings in that range of wide receivers uh, that he's going in yep I I agree with that all right let's move on to our second guys here and both of them are quarterbacks and I'll start off here with Jalen Hurts look if you've been listening to the podcast at least since last year you know that I'm, I'm a big Jalen Hurts guy I was when he got drafted I am now and and my only concern with Jalen Hurts at this point is that his head coach, Nick Sirianni, appears to be just a stone donkey, like a complete absolute mm-hmm. moron. This dude refuses to name Jalen Hurts the starter. I don't understand for the life of me what he's thinking. Apparently, he's going to be calling plays and then giving that to the offensive coordinator to then give to Jalen Hurts. It seems like a completely unnecessary step. So with Jalen Hurts, my concern is the team situation, not the talent, not the player, because you know we saw it from Hurts last year. He played over 75% of snaps in only three games. His rookie season, but in those three games, he was the quarterback three in fantasy points per game. He was averaging 12.6 rush attempts per game in those starts, 79.3 rushing yards per game. 
And while his passing numbers weren't necessarily pretty, they weren't great. That's not why you're drafting Jalen Hurts. You're not drafting him to throw 40 touchdowns. You're drafting him for what he can do on the ground and what we've seen. And I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility that he becomes a better passer. You know, all reports are that he's been improving this offseason. And last year he was throwing to Travis Fulgham, Greg Ward, and JJ Arthega Whiteside. Okay, now we're adding in a Heisman Trophy winning Devontae Smith to the equation, a true alpha. We're hoping that Jalen Rager, sophomore improvement, Jalen Hurts, sophomore improvement. And we know that rushing upside is what can differentiate these quarterbacks at the top. He had the three-week stretch at the end of the season where he was a top three quarterback. And I think if you know he's able to start this entire season, I, I don't see why he can't produce top five numbers. Once again, I've been drafting a ton of Jalen Hurts. Again, with the Deshaun Watson rumors right now, the buying opportunity has been great in best ball. He's falling past pick 100 on underdog regularly, and I'm buying up all of that value. And if people are concerned about Deshaun Watson, you know, is he going to get traded to the Eagles? There's been speculation. Jalen Hurts is going to be part of that trade. They're not trading Deshaun (laughs) Watson to the Eagles without Jalen Hurts being shipped to the Texans, in which case he's still starting 17 games. He's immediately taking over for Tyrod Taylor. And I don't think that his his outlook necessarily changes that much, you know, going from Smith and Rieger to Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks. Like even if Jalen Hurts is not on the Eagles, I am not concerned that he is going to be a bad fantasy quarterback in 2021. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Even if he does get traded, I still think he is at minimum a top 10 fantasy quarterback in 2021 just due to the rushing upside that you mentioned, you know, 79 rushing yards per game in his three starts. So, I mean, I'm right there with you with Jalen Hurts. He's my fifth highest owned quarterback on underdog at around 15%. So I've been scooping him up in plenty of drafts and I just like his upside on the ground. And those are the quarterbacks that you want to target especially if you miss out on like that first tier of elite level quarterbacks um, and you wait till the ninth or 10th round, you want to target the guys that have that league winning upside, especially on the ground. And I think Jalen Hurts fits that category very well. And a a lot of these guys take a second year to really hit that ceiling. Like we saw Lamar Jackson flash that as a rookie when he came out and replaced Joe Flacco the same way that we saw Mm -hmm. Jalen Hurts flash it when he came in and replaced Carson Wentz late. You know, Kyler Murray was decent as a rookie, but it it was his year two where he really elevated to that top tier. So I I would not be surprised to see Jalen Hurts elevate this year and, and sort of become what I was hoping he would be last year. Yeah, I mean, at worst, he finishes as sixth or seventh overall in fantasy, and he's being drafted as the QB 10 right now. So, yep. There's another quarterback with some rushing upside that you're pretty <laughs> bullish on, though. No? Yeah, so kind of the same build of quarterback, but I think that this guy is a significantly better passer, and that's Justin Fields rookie for the Bears. I have him as my highest owned quarterback at 20%. um, And I just truly believe that Justin Fields is a league winner. So what I mentioned before with Jalen Hurts and, you know, if you can't get the top tier of guys, I, I think that Justin Fields is included in this category as well as Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence, just the rookie quarterbacks in general. All these guys have significant rushing upside on the ground, especially Fields and Lance. Justin Fields finished his college career with 260 rushes for 1,133 yards and 19 touchdowns. So the upside is there on the ground. We know that he has weapons in the receiving game and Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, some guys that were high on for this year in fantasy. And I don't, I don't know. I just think that Fields 
skill set resembles some of those of the top quarterbacks in fantasy, like Kyler Lamar, Josh Allen, you know, some guys that haven't been great passers early in their career. And I think that was kind of the knock on Justin Fields, although I I do think he's a pretty good passer. That might be a knock, but the rushing upside is still there with all these guys. And that's what sets them apart in fantasy football. So I think week one, we might see Andy Dalton. Week two, we might see Andy Dalton, but I would give it at most three weeks before we see fields on the football field i'm just buying him at his 13th round adp like if you're getting a player of justin fields caliber in the in the 13th round at the quarterback position i just think it's, it's a clear screaming buy so he's my highest on quarterback yeah i couldn't agree more and i mean i i love the pass catchers alan robinson in the third round darnell mooney was a guy i was drafting in the 10th 9th and i'm still taking shares of in the 8th as his stock continues to rise and you know i think that the discount you're getting on fields right now is strictly based on you know the fact that the bears are you know insisting yes. that andy dalton's going to be the starter okay they're going to lose to the rams in week one all right Andy Dalton gets his revenge game against the Bengals in week two. They're going to be 0-2 at this point. I mean, he might make it into the first half of the Browns game. They're going to be down, and Justin Fields will take the field. I think you're getting minimum 12, 13 games starting out of Justin Fields, and he could absolutely be a, a league winner if that's the case. I don't mm-hmm. think that Andy Dalton is going to be able to you know, maintain this job with Justin Fields, continuing to impress at camp, preparing to impress in the preseason it's justin field season baby i'm right there with you like you said you're getting a discount on him because of the andy dalton situation but honestly we could see field start week one if he continues to impress the bears over the next month of training camp and preseason games so i think he's a clear-cut buy if you're playing fantasy you know optimally I think you want a quarterback that has the rushing upside of a Fields or a Lance and you should be capitalizing on their lower ADPs because if it, if it was certain that they're starting 17 games I think both Fields and Lance are two quarterbacks that would be drafted in the top 10 quarterbacks but they're not right now so I would say capitalize on that just get your rushing quarterback <laughs> that's what sets apart quarterbacks now in in 2021 so you have to adapt uh these these guys can just hit a different ceiling than the pocket passers that are going in front of them like joe burrow ryan Tannehill, tom brady rogers like i i would have fields and lance above those guys if i knew they were starting the whole season Yep. And my last note on that is that Lance has an ADP higher than Justin Fields. Well, I mean, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo's a lock to start more games than Andy Dalton is. I, I think that, you know, it would be a real stretch to see Trey Lance involved as the week one starter. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for Justin Fields. So mm-hmm. between the two, he's the guy that I'm definitely targeting. And yeah. I'm all aboard the Justin Fields train right there with you. Yeah, I just mentioned them both because those are my two highest owned quarterbacks. So yeah. that just shows, you know, where where I want my money is on these guys with rushing upside as well as uh, passing upside too. The last guy that I have will come as no surprise to anybody who's been listening to the podcast this season. You know, he's my highest owned player across all best ball leagues. He has a wide receiver by the name of Gabriel Davis. Listen, John Brown is gone, okay? He played 75-plus percent of snaps in eight of the nine games last year. His role as the wide receiver, two is up for the grabs in one of the past-heaviest offenses with an elite quarterback, a deep-threat quarterback, and that's what Gabriel Davis is. He's a deep-threat 
seventh in the NFL in average target distance as a rookie, seventh in the NFL in yards per reception, 17 point yards per catch, which is absolutely elite. And he averaged 9.7 yards per target. That's top 20 in the league as a fourth round rookie. He only played on 60% of snaps in 10 games as a rookie, you know, because of John Brown's presence there. And I think we see that elevate. The concern is Emmanuel Sanders. Well, that should be no concern at all. This man is 34 years old. In NFL wide receiver years, this dude might as well be in hospice. All right, he's complete dust. 34 years old versus this 22-year-old stud. I know where I'm putting my money. Sure. <laughs> Sanders has been running well in camp. He's running ahead of Gabe in camp. So am I projecting my best ball picks based on who's going to be the starter in week one and week two before he goes down because of his old age? Absolutely not. I'm looking towards the future and Sanders efficiency has unsurprisingly been on the decline. 11.9 yards per catch last season is the lowest he's had since 2017 and the third lowest he's had in his long 11-year career. Like I said, John Brown is gone. Gabriel Davis is that dude. And his rookie stat line is no joke. 35 receptions for 599 yards and seven touchdowns on only 62 targets. That's one less touchdown than Steph Diggs had on 104 more targets and three more touchdowns than Cole Beasley had on 45 less targets. He's not going to destroy people with receptions and stuff like that but on underdog where the touchdowns and the boom games are going to count for a lot I think Gabriel Davis is that dude I'm willing to take a shot on him as at worst the wide receiver three in a pass happy offense and at best the wide receiver two and go-to deep threat for Josh Allen this season Gabriel Davis I violated all of my you know exposure rules to him in best ball this season you know I try and keep my top exposures around 25% on drafters I've got 38% Gabriel Davis my season might live and die with this man and I'm not gonna lie Joey I'm absolutely comfortable with that yeah I mean I think this is probably where we would disagree most I mean I don't disagree with taking Gabe Davis above Sanders and, and Beasley because, you know, the, those guys are old and might not have the upside and in, in the ceiling that we want in best ball. But, you know, they're they're still there. They're still going to be on the field running routes. Cole Beasley had, what, five games with 100-plus receiving yards last season. So he's still a factor in that offense, and I think he's the clear-cut number two guy behind Diggs, uh, whether you think he's going to get cut or, or whatever for his what, off-field just, stuff. Just because he, he has that, heavy nuts, that makes him the wide receiver too? He, he's the clear-cut wide receiver too. <laughs> As it stands right now, Sanders is probably the three and Gabe Davis is the four. But like you mentioned, you're just projecting Gabe to take over that role. And even when he took over that role for John Brown later in the season, when Gabe Davis played 100% of the snaps, he still only had four targets in week 12, 97% of the snaps in week 13, only four targets, you know, so this is this is a guy that his role in the offense, like you said, it is the deep threat, but that's not going to be a heavily targeted role so you're kind of just betting on long touchdowns to occur with Gabe Davis for him to hit value which I guess is kind of fine in best ball when you want him to hit his ceiling but if he's only getting one or two catches or three catches for 
60, 70 yards, that's not going to do it. And this was a guy that didn't score over 20 points in one game as the deep threat in a Josh Allen-led offense. I I don't know. I mean, I have 13% Gabe Davis, so it's not like I'm full fading him. I just think the love and the hype for Gabe Davis is is kind of unwarranted, and I would tamper expectations uh, tremendously. Jeez, that hurts my soul. But I I knew that where you stood on Gabriel, he he's a four son. he's a four to five target player a game, and you're and you're betting on him scoring you know a 50, 60 yard touchdown out of those five targets for him to hit his value because he's not going to rack up catches. He's not going to be the red zone threat. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Look, I have a type. Okay, you know this is the same mold as Darius Slayton was in last year. Except but Darius Slayton is to... exponentially better than Gabe Davis. That's a thing. Just as an athlete. Well, yeah. I mean, Darius Slayton is exponentially better than most wide receivers as an athlete. But still, I've got a type. I like deep threats, and I'm willing to double down on this arch type of wide receiver a, a second year, albeit away from Danny Dimes and with Josh Allen. Uh, and I feel I feel good about that bet, Joey. Where where are we going with your last pick here for this segment? Yeah, so my last pick is just a tight end room, okay? And that is the Patriots tight end. So I couldn't really pick one, but Hunter Henry and Janu are my two highest owned tight ends on underdog with Hunter Henry being my number one and I have 36% Hunter Henry and 27% Janu Smith. So just clear cut my top two guys. And honestly, it's more so about the tight end position in, in best ball specifically than it is me being high on these guys. You know, even though I am like, I'm not saying I'm not, but it's just more so about the tight ends. And I think the tight end position is very easy in fantasy. You either mm-hmm. draft one of the top guys, so you can include, you know, Kyle Pitts, Hawk, Mark Andrews in the in the top tier, or you punt. It's honestly that simple, right? Yep. For reference, last year, the tight end 10 in PPR points per game averaged 10.4 points per game. The tight end 20 averaged 8.6 points per game. So a measly difference of 1.8 points per game from the tight end 10 to the tight end 20. So the difference in the mid-tier tight ends and late round tight ends is very minimal, but the opportunity cost is obviously higher in the mid-rounds if you're taking a guy like Noah Fant over some of the running backs and wide receivers that are still available in the ninth round rather than taking John Smith or Hunter Henry in the 14th, 15th round when it's just a bunch of scrubs left. So if you don't get a Waller or a Pitts or a Kelsey, you're better off just punting it off. And I think these two guys are just great punt options. You're getting a discount on these two guys that are going to be the Patriots' two leading pass catchers. John, who has been virtually unstoppable by all reports out of Patriots training camp, and I think he's the clear-cut number one option on the Patriots. They're going to use him in a variety of ways. I could see him getting some red zone carries, some swing swing passes, easy catches. I think he should easily finish as a top tight end in PPR. Hunter Henry is dealing with an injury right now, so his ADP has dipped a little, but I still think he's a clear-cut buy at his 16th round ADP. At worst, he's going to be third in targets. These are just two clear-cut guys to target if you're waiting on tight end. It's honestly that simple for me. I, cu- I couldn't agree more. I-, I was just checking my exposure on these two players. They are my top two tight ends on both sites. I got 24% Janu on drafters, 20% Hunter Henry on drafters, and 27% Janu on underdog. 
25% Hunter Henry. These guys are just stone cold values. You know, they're going rounds later than guys with very similar projections. You know, Evan Ingram, uh, Irv Smith, Mike Kosicki, all these guys are getting drafted, you know, four or five rounds earlier. And none of them have the potential to be the number one options on their team in the past game the way that both of these Patriots mm-hmm. guys do. So, I mean, to me, this is just a, a clear cut situation of misprices. And for some reason, it's sustained the entire offseason. Like a lot of the times, these prices will self-adjust uh, throughout the course of these offseason months. And this one really hasn't seemed to. Just now, we're seeing Jonu Smith's ADP rise from, you know, being a 14th, 15th round pick to a 13th round pick. And I think that that's fallout from the Hunter Henry injury. But still, I mean, this didn't happen until you know, mid August. So Mm -hmm. if you've been buying, you've had plenty of time to get great exposure to these guys like Joey has, like I have. And I I absolutely love these two tight ends. Like I said, in in the beginning, it's just about the tight end position in in fantasy. There's not much that differentiates a guy like Noah Fant from a guy like Jonu Smith, besides a five round ADP difference when they both should relatively score the same amount of points. Uh, You just have to spend a top 10 pick on one and the other you don't. So it's kind of that simple. And, you know, I like Noah Fan. I was just using him as an example. Like the Logan Mm -hmm. Thomas, Dallas Goddard, Tyler Higbee tier. Just fade those guys completely. That's been my strategy. And I I think it's pretty optimal too. Yep, I agree with that. I mean, it's pretty easy for us to be guys who who fade tight ends. That's kind of our thing is, is that we don't pay up for tight ends. But there is one tight end this season that I am excited to pay up for. And I'll say that we can close out the show with this guy. This is our guy. It's both me and Joey's guy. Like we we couldn't either of us take credit for this because we have both been on this train. We're smashing the value of the player currently going as the tight end four in, in drafts. And that is Kyle Pitts. Joey, I know the debate is, you know, is he going to be able to pay off this ADP rookie tight end struggle Blah, 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 blah. I don't care, okay? (laughs) I am drafting Kyle Pitts. I want to be on the winning side of this thing. We've already talked about the fact that he's massively underpriced for the beginning of the season on DraftKings. I think he's underpriced in drafts. I mean, this guy has tight end one overall upside, in my opinion, as a rookie. I'm right there with you. I I think he definitely does. He has the opportunity I think in a pass heavy offense as the number two option behind Calvin Ridley and then behind those two guys, there's not much that you really have to be scared about. An elite generational tight end, highest drafted tight end of all time. And I think the argument about rookie tight ends don't succeed. I think that's kind of over analyzed and overstated. Like I don't care about what has happened in the last 20 years. I mean, I, I guess like I guess you should care about it a, li- a little bit, but with, with a player of Kyle Pitts's caliber, I'm just not too concerned. The situation is just too good for him not to succeed. I, I think people put too much stock into the historical data of tight ends. It's honestly the fact that most tight end prospects just aren't good. You know, mm-hmm. they're not as elite as Kyle Pitts is coming out of college. Um, I think that's more so why they struggle than the transition from college to the NFL is just tight ends just usually aren't good prospects and athletes like Kyle Pitts. If he if he was a wide receiver, he would have been probably number one, too, in, in yeah. terms of athletic profile and just a prospect in general. So if you look at it from that perspective and view him as, as a guy that's going to play as a wide receiver sometimes and, you know, play in the slot a little bit and play in line, I think that 
his upside is unmatched in, in terms of rookie tight ends historically and in the NFL I, I think he's going to set records this year at the tight end position because this guy isn't a tight end he, he's he's a clear-cut wide receiver playing at tight end and I think he's going to abuse that this season yeah. when, when you know a 6-2 4.8 40-yard dash guy tries to cover a guy that's 6-6 and runs a 4-4 yeah Th- this dude's got like the Calvin Johnson body type running yeah. out at tight end is as an age 20 player. Like it's absolutely just completely absurd. This man, Kyle Pitts is going to destroy records. I think he completely earned being, you know, the highest tight end ever drafted. It's a great situation. You know, people are just, you know, trying to squeeze him into yeah. this tight end mold, but like, no, you can't even look at it as a tight end. I, no, he's that's the wide receiver thing. two on this team. Especially especially in the draft. You just have to look at him as a playmaker. And at that point in the draft, at number four, like, yeah, they could have went quarterback. And that's probably what you do if you're focusing on the future. But they still have faith in Matt Ryan. Um, and at fourth overall, he's the best play. He was the best playmaker in the draft, period. Even, yes. even if he's labeled a, t- a tight end. He was just the clear-cut best player available at that point. So I think the Falcons were right to take him. It was either him or a quarterback, I, I think. And they went best player available, and I think that was Kyle Pitts. And, you know, there there was a case that he w- he could have been the best player in the draft, period, uh, at any position. So I don't know. We're high on Kyle Pitts. I really don't see how he busts without an injury. I, I just truly don't. I, I don't either. And, you know, you look at the players he's going around. Would it shock you if he had a better season receiving than T. Higgins or Jamar oh, Chase? Oh, no. I take him I take him above Jamar Chase and T. Higgins in drafts. I think I. I think he's gonna have more targets than both. I think in that and I think in that range, like you said, of the wide receivers that he's going around, I think he will see more targets than a majority of of those guys like Ayuk, Higgins, Chase. I, I, I'm taking Kyle Pitts above all those guys. So am I, man. I can't wait to live or die on this Kyle Pitts hill. It feels like a good place yeah, to be. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to revisit after the season and see how it panned out. But I don't know. I think we're on the right side of this because people are just using one point to argue against Kyle Pitts, and, and that's that he's a rookie tight end being drafted at a ceiling. But I don't think being drafted in, in the fourth, fifth round is his ceiling i think his ceiling is is travis kelsey yep i I wouldn't be surprised if he was going ahead of multiple of the tight ends that he's currently going behind this time next year wouldn't be surprised at all yeah clear clear cut by clear cut all right i think that that's going to be it for episode 155 of the dfs dose podcast make sure you follow us on twitter at the dfs dose as well as our personal twitters i am at ben hover joey's at joey carrion dfs new episodes of the podcast drop every thursday on spotify apple soundcloud and every other podcast platform on the internet we'll be back soon with episode 156 the nfl season is almost here we're ramping up i literally cannot wait we're, we're at the point where we're going to start dropping more than one episode per week so make sure you're subscribed on whatever you know platform you use so you don't miss an episode to our listeners out there just know we appreciate you we value you until next time let's stay accountable and keep it authentic